And now, today's word. What are you running after? What are you running after? I spoke about the legend of the lion and the gazelle. One is pursuing, the other is being pursued. People who have nothing running after them usually live life without any sense of urgency. They live life comfortably because there is nothing threatening their lives. There's nothing that is pursuing them. There's nothing that makes them get up and feel that if they don't move, they're going to perish. So there's no sense of urgency in their lives. Today, uh, in relation to our uh, statement uh, or, or our topic of what are you running after, this is the second statement I will make. The people who have nothing they are running after usually live life without any sense of mission. People who have nothing running after them have no sense of urgency. People who are not running after anything have no sense of mission. A sense of urgency helps you to move quickly and a sense of mission helps you to move purposefully. It's great to be quick and to be fast and to move, but you have to know what you are moving for or where you are moving to. So we're going to look at four examples in the Bible of people who run or who pursued a target and achieved it. And uh, we're going to relate to different aspects of what they did in their lives. The first character we're going to look at is not a very nice person in the Bible, but he's, he's, he's important for this message. And that is Lot. Lot. Abraham's nephew, Lot. And Lot is important because he didn't look back. If you're going to run after something, you don't have to look back. You have to look ahead. You have to look forward. Lot had a lot of problems. I think that's why he's called Lot. He had a lot of problems. He made a lot of mistakes in his life, in his choices. He chose a wrong location, lived in the wrong neighborhood, and made a lot of mistakes in his life. But today we will not look at all the things that he got wrong. We're going to look at one thing that he got right. And that is the fact that he never looked back. When Lot and his family were rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah, they were instructed to run to the mountains and never look back. Genesis chapter 19 verse 17. Genesis 19 17 reads, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. They had been delivered from Great catastrophe. The city they had lived in, a place they chose and thought was going to be a great place of prosperity, had become the symbol of debauchery in the world. And God now is destroying their home. He sends angels to go and rescue them because Abraham had interceded for Lot. And reluctantly, Lot and his family are pulled from Sodom and Gomorrah. The instruction is, don't stay in the place. Go to the mountain and don't look back. Don't look back. If you're going to run for something, that's the first thing I want you to know. You don't have to look back. 
You have to keep looking forward. But something happens on the journey as Lot and his family are moving towards the mountain, escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 19. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. How do we know Lot's wife looked behind? Because nobody is supposed to look behind. How could Lot know? Now, if the wife was walking behind him, if the wife was walking behind Lot, he wouldn't have known that she has looked back because everybody's going forward. If she looked back and she's behind, he wouldn't have noticed. And the record would not be here that she looked back. So for that record to be there, for Lot to know that the wife had looked back, she had to be in one of two positions. Either she's walking beside him or she's walking ahead of him, not behind him. So can you imagine a man who is supposed not to look back? He's walking with his wife. He looks sideways and sees that the wife has looked back and the wife becomes a pillar of salt. Or the wife is ahead of him and the wife looks back, saw a lot sees it, and the wife becomes a pillar of salt. Can you imagine, think of it, the extreme discipline it will require for Lot not to look back. A man of great discipline, somebody close by you, your wife, you're on a journey with her, has looked back right beside you, and she's a pillar of salt, and he says, I will not look back. That is extreme discipline. Or if the wife was ahead, he said, I will not look back. And that's why I picked him. He made a lot of mistakes, but he knew how to focus into the future. If you're going to run after anything in life, you have to learn this discipline from Saul. I will not look back. Somebody say, I will not look back. Unfortunately, Sometimes in looking forward, you have to leave some people behind. Unfortunately, sadly, people who are frozen in time, people who refuse to pursue any agenda, sometimes have to be left behind. And I'm not talking about ignoring and abandoning people simply because they are in trouble. That's not what this is about. Or just leaving your wife because you don't like her or you've seen a new girl. That's not what we are talking about. We are talking about when you are focused on something. And you and somebody are focused on it. And unfortunately, the person looks back. It's like friends who are both escaping a bad habit. They are escaping their Sodom and Gomorrah. It could be your friend whom you used to drink with. And you are both escaping alcoholism. Or you are both escaping drugs. Or you are both escaping prostitution. Or robbery. Or abject poverty. You and your best friend. You say we are going to make it in life. We are going to stop drinking. We will not do drugs again. And, and you are going on this journey. And your friend decides I am going to go back to drugs. I'm going to go back to alcohol. I'm going to go back to prostitution. You have to be like Lot and say, although he's my best friend, I'm going to look forward. I'm not going to look back because I'm running after something. And when that happens, unfortunately, sadly, you don't have to join the one who looked back. 
the tragedy of life is that many of us are where we are because we joined somebody who looked back. We went back to somebody. We went back to a relationship that was going nowhere and we are stuck in time, frozen in salt like Lot's wife. When God gives you a vision for life or a new hope in life, don't look back. No matter the temptation, don't look back. Lot's vision was the mountain of safety. And he had to focus on it. So if you look at Lot's life, there are two things driving him. The fire behind him and the mountain ahead of him. The fire is Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the push factor. He has to run from Sodom and Gomorrah. But if that is all he's doing and there's no vision, he would look back. And that was Lot's wife's problem. She knew what was running after her, but she had no vision of where she's escaping to. So when it became stressful, the only place she could look is backwards. It's not enough to have fire behind you. You must have a mountain ahead of you. You must have hope ahead of you. You must have a vision ahead of you so that when you escape the past, there is a place that you are going to. Somebody say, I am not looking back. And for some of you, God has delivered you from alcohol. Don't look back. He's delivered you from drugs. Don't look back. He's delivered you from bad company. Don't look back. He's delivered you from some friends in Sodom and Gomorrah who were destroying your life. Don't look back. If you're going to run and achieve your vision, you have to be like Lot. You don't look back. Second example. He's a better person than Lot. Elisha. Elisha is the person who couldn't be discouraged. He was determined to go for something. You couldn't discourage him. It's not just enough not to look back, but you have to determine, I will not be discouraged. Elisha was a man who was discouraged by everybody around him. Do you feel that everybody around you is trying to discourage you? Everybody's trying to put a stumbling block in your way. Sometimes in life you get to a situation where almost everybody around you is trying to discourage you. Your friends are discouraging you. Your parents are discouraging you. Uh, sometimes even your pastor is discouraging you. And that was Elisha. Everybody was discouraging him. He started his mission, started under a senior prophet called Elijah. But Elijah had a way of always discouraging Elisha, every step of the way. And he, he tried to stop him every way. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, we read, Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he came to Jericho. Four times on this journey, four times, Elisha was discouraged. He was discouraged by Elijah. And he was discouraged by the sons of the prophets. From Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. Every step he was discouraged. But his eyes were fixed on something. He had moved from something to the other. He wanted something. He had a vision. What was Elisha 
looking for? Why was he not discouraged in life? What was he looking for? 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 9. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit fall upon me. Now, when I read the Bible, I try to imagine what is going on. And when I read this, I just feel Elijah's question is a question of frustration. It's not that he wanted the man to have a double portion, but the guy has followed him and followed him, never quitting. So finally he says, Abba, what else do you want? It's a question of frustration. What at all do you want from me? He says, I want double portion of you. So why was Elijah never discouraged? Because he has set his eyes. I'm going to have a double portion. I will be significant. I will rise up. I will be used of God. And I will be, do greater things than Elijah is doing. And if that is your vision, then no one can discourage you. What do you want in life? Is it a double portion? If you want happiness, you want a good marriage, then nothing is going to discourage you in your marriage. If you want your children to do well, then nothing will stop you from raising good children. And if you want to prosper, nothing will stop you from prospering because life is full of discouragement. If you are one of those people who gets discouraged when you are discouraged, you go nowhere because life has specialists in discouragement. They are called, ordained, and anointed to discourage you. Every step of the way, they're going to discourage you. It could be a parent, it could be a boss, it could even be a pastor. But Elisha said, I will not be discouraged. Why? Because I want a double portion in my life. So even if my boss is discouraging me, I will not be discouraged. My friends are discouraging me, I will not be discouraged. Even if a prophet discourages me, I will not be discouraged. He wanted a double portion. Elisha's push factor in life was discouragement. The more people discourage him, the more he moved ahead. But the pull factor was a double portion. There is something running after him. Everybody discouraging him. But that's not enough. There is also something he was running after. He had seen something he wanted. And he was determined that he would not be discouraged. Are you like Elisha? Or are you where you are because somebody discouraged me? Sometimes you talk to people. They say, well, you know, nobody believes in me. Well, believe in yourself. Nobody encourages me. Encourage yourself. Even my parents didn't take me to school. Take yourself to school. My friends, all my friends are, are telling me I can't make it. Then tell yourself I can make it. What are you sitting there for? Whom, whom do you want to discourage you? Have you paid to encourage you? Have you employed and paid an encourager? Have you recruited an encourager in your life? If you haven't, then nobody owes you encouragement. Nobody owes you encouragement. David said, the Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Nobody owes you encouragement. If you are tired and you want people to clap for you before you run, you will, you will collapse. If you are hoping that one day somebody will hold your hand and say, I believe in you. Listen, you are on the wrong planet. 
Maybe it happens on Pluto, which has been degraded from a planet. Maybe it happens on Neptune or, or maybe Jupiter. But here on planet Earth, we don't have many encouragers. All of us were discouraged. I remember when God called me into ministry. And I told my best friend at that time what God has said to me. He said to me, you are a fool. And I don't blame him. Because what I was doing looked foolish. It didn't look sensible. And a good friend was telling me you were a fool. That's good advice. But I was not discouraged. And then I was not angry. And I'm not angry at him. All I'm saying is if you are looking for people to clap for you to perform, you are on the wrong planet. Go and look for your own planet and settle there. And recruit your cheerers and praise singers and clappers. But here on, on earth, it's full of discouragement. But you have to be like Elisha. I have set my eyes on a double portion. And even if my boss says I shouldn't go with him. And prophets are saying I shouldn't do it. I know what I'm looking for. I will not be discouraged. Somebody say I will not be discouraged. Because if you're running after something, you have to be like, Lord, I will not look back. You have to be like Elisha. I will not be discouraged. Third example, Paul, the great apostle, he didn't stop pressing on. He didn't stop pressing on. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. This is Paul's own words. Not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has also laid of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many as are mature, he called it the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. The prize of the upward call of Christ. And he kept that ahead of him. He knew what it was. And he said he had not attained to it, but he will press towards it. And to press towards this thing he called the upward call of Christ, he had to put everything behind him. He had to put success behind him. He had to put great spiritual experiences behind him. His great visions behind him. Great accomplishments behind him. Persecutions behind him. Hunger behind him. Distress behind him. Nakedness behind him. In other words, for Paul, success and failure made no difference to him. They were all behind him. There are people who get so swollen headed that they can't enter the door God has opened for them. Their head is too big. By some success, they chalked. So Paul called it the goal. And he says, I haven't attained towards it. And I'm going to get it. And nothing could stop Paul from getting it. He couldn't be discouraged. Prophecy didn't stop him. In fact, there were prophets who came and told him he was going to suffer pursuing that. And he said, I'll still go. In prison, he pursued it. Out of prison, he pursued it. On ships, he pursued it. Until in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, 
This is what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid out for me the crown of righteousness. How did he know he had finished the race? How can you know a race you have finished if you don't know the finishing line? So when Paul set out, he knew what he wanted to achieve. He knew where God wanted him to get to. And when he got it, he said, now I have crossed the finishing line. If God takes me, I'm ready. Do you know where you want to get to? For Paul, it was what he called the upward call of God. He had a lot of push factors. And the greatest thing that Paul was a push factor for Paul, motivating him, driving him from his past that he didn't like, was what he did as a persecutor of the church, especially in the murder or the martyrdom of Stephen. And it always drove him. It always drove him. It made him feel that he was insufficient. He was unworthy. It just really disturbed him that at one point in his life, he, he persecuted the church and participated in the killing of Stephen. And that was his push factor. But what was pulling him ahead was not what he did to Stephen. It was the upward call. You have to have something driving you from behind and something pushing you or pulling you from ahead. And Paul called it the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he kept pressing on. We have to press on through success. Which is very difficult to press on because success is a place we all want to settle at. You get to a place where everything is cool. You just wish, oh, I wish life will end. This is my final place, but you have to keep moving on. You have to keep moving on. And you have to keep moving on. You have to keep moving on. You have to keep moving on. You have to press on and press on and press on because beyond your success, there is something more. Beyond your achievement, there is something more. Beyond your imprisonment, there is something more. Beyond your pain, there is something more. Beyond your nakedness, there is something more. And Paul says, I press on. Somebody say, I'm going to press on. So, Lot tells us, don't look back. We don't look back when we are following our dream. Elisha tells us, don't be discouraged. Paul tells us, keep pressing through. And the final example, what better example than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? He did it all with joy. And that's how we have to do it all. In running after something. We don't do it with bitterness and anger. We do it all with joy. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sins which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus shows us that what we're running after should give us joy. Even if it is accompanied by pain, the end result should be something that brings us great joy. It's like a mother going through labor 
to have a child. It's painful, but she's waiting for the first cry of her baby. And when she hears the first cry, the pain is no longer the most important thing. A child has been born. For the joy that was set ahead of him, Jesus endured the cross and he despised the shame. Sometimes life can be very bitter. Life has a way of surprising everybody and throwing bitterness our way and pain and sorrow all our lives. But there must be something in your life that you're looking forward to that brings great joy. And for Jesus Christ, the Bible says, for the joy that was set ahead of him, he endured the cross. Endured means he allowed it and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That was the joy that was set before him. The redemption of mankind. Deliverance of souls from the hand of the devil. And he did it with joy. The cross is not a joy. Betrayal by friends is not a joy. Being whipped is not a joy. Having a crown of thorns on your head is not a joyful thing. That's painful. But all of that pain must be compensated by a joy that you are looking forward to. So what is that joy you're looking forward to? Ultimately for us Christians, the joy is being with the Lord Jesus Christ, living for him on earth and living for him eternally. That is our greatest joy. But aside from that, there are also things on earth that gives us joy. The joy of seeing your children do well. The joy of seeing your life becoming a blessing to people. The joy of doing something with your life that the world is blessed by. So people go out there and say, but for so and so, I would not have done this. But for so and so, I would not have achieved that. The joy of standing behind and watching God use your life to be a blessing. That joy allows the pain to be tolerable. And today I pray that no matter what you're going through, the joy of the Lord will keep you running. So what have we learned today? Like Lot, we will not look back. And I pray you will not look back. Even if the person closest to you look back. Sometimes you can go to your old neighborhood or meet old classmates and see good friends who looked back. Who looked back. Went back to a lifestyle that you and them were running away from. And they got frozen. And you see what God has done. And when you go and see them, don't look back. Like Elisha, we must refuse to be discouraged. Even if the people are our superiors, they must not discourage us. Like Paul, we keep pressing on. Even when we seem to be the most successful people, we still keep pressing on. And like our Lord Jesus Christ himself, we do it all with joy. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mansa Otebil, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensa Otebil. Email autoville at centralgospel.com 
or call plus 233 302 688 000.